Okay, we are in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start reading from verse 15. But let me recap for a moment. Uh, We have covered so far five of the trials of Jesus. There were six trials that Jesus went through as as part of of the suffering that he went through. And and, uh, we are on, on the sixth trial now. So, by, by way of review, the first trial was before Annas, who was the high priest, or the former high priest. The second trial was before Caiaphas. The third trial was before the Sanhedrin hurriedly in the morning, long before the 9 a.m. sacrifice, but it was at dawn. And then the, that was the third trial. The fourth trial uh, was before Pilate. And the, the accusations that he had been brought up on at the, uh, to, to the Sanhedrin originally was he had been brought up before the high priest for saying that he would destroy the temple, something that he had never said that he would do. He, what he actually had said was, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And the, the testimony was inconsistent. And so then what they got against him was blasphemy. Remember, he could not have committed blasphemy because he never used the name Yahweh, which was their law, but they, got, they, they found him guilty of blasphemy, but they had no ability to take his life uh, because they weren't allowed to, to inflict a capital punishment. And so when they brought him before Pilate, the accusation, the first thing they said, is, well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him to you. And Pilate said, well, then I'm not going to try him. If there's no accusations, no trial. And so then they said, well, he stirs up the nation, and Pilate didn't care about that. Then they said he, he refuses to pay taxes to Caesar, and there were no witnesses to that. In fact, he had said just the opposite. He said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And then they said he makes himself out to be a king. And Pilate tried him on that basis, investigated, and Pilate said, and, and, and Pilate asked him, are you a king? And, and Jesus first wants to clarify, do you ask that as a Gentile or as a Jew? And then as soon as he finds out that Jesus is not claiming kingship like, like uh, uh, Caesar's kingship, he's just saying he's a king of the truth, and his kingdom is not of this world, then Pilate says, you know, I find no guilt in this man. And then he gets sent to Herod. Herod finds no guilt in him. And as we had read last week, that when, when, uh, when he comes back from Herod, Pilate says, look, I found no guilt in him. Herod found no guilt in him. And now, we're gonna, now Pilate is yet trying him again. This is the second trial before Pilate and the sixth trial in total and his last trial. So we'll pick it up from Matthew chapter 27, reading from verse... 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at the time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, envy they had handed him over. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. 
And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? And they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be upon us and upon our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Okay, we will read some other portions from some of the other Gospels in just a moment. Let me point something out here. Is that they had asked for Barabbas, so, so Pilate had a tradition. He didn't have to do it, but he had a tradition of releasing to them anyone prisoner. And he thought that they would say, okay, release Jesus. Because he knew that they had offered up Jesus because of envy. And, you know, that's really quite telling. And as I told you last week, very often, people will come against you in your faith because they're envious of what you have. They're envious of the peace of Christ. They're envious of what you have in your family. They're envious of the relationship that you have with other people. And Pilate knew that they offered him up because of envy. There's another verse in the New Testament that says that they were envious of the fact that all the people were going to Jesus rather than to them as the spiritual leaders there. And that actually gets people quite concerned. You know, people have talked to me on campus, people in the religious studies department, that have some level of concern because students come to me for spiritual counseling rather than going to the professors of religious studies who have their PhDs. Now, you and I understand why that is. We understand something of the life of Christ, the life of the Scriptures, rather than just an intellectual approach. And not that they can't counsel, not that an intellectual approach is all bad, but very often people are seeking other things. Now, if somebody... Nobody comes to me and asks me for, you know, the deep Hebrew meaning of a certain word in a certain Old Testament passage. You know, because, because I don't know that. There are people in religious studies that could help you much better than I could. But you and I understand what that is. But there is a certain level of concern that they have express, expressed to me that because I don't have my PhD in religious studies, that I really shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. And, and you know, one might even argue that because I don't have my PhD, I'm able to do these sorts of things. You know, one, 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 could, one could look at this in several different ways. But Jesus said, it, but it, it says, the, the scriptures say, he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, now, at some point, Pilate takes the judgment seat, and we're going to see about that in just a moment. But once you're on the judgment seat, a final judgment has to be rendered, either to crucify, to scourge and crucify, or to release. Once he sits down on the judgment seat, a judgment must be rendered, an official judgment. They can't change. They can't go back and forth on this thing once they've sat down. And on that seat, his wife says to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. When people come against the things of Christ and the testimonies of Christ, they suffer. They suffer in their hearts. They suffer in their sleep. When you and I oppose God and oppose His ways or have some sin in our lives that God has testified to us is true 
and yet we want to push this thing aside again and again without dealing with it, without asking God to forgive us, it will disrupt our sleep. It really will. And in many ways, this is God's hand of mercy. God was crying out through Pilate's wife to Pilate, let this righteous man go. You don't want to be a part of this thing. And then he offers up, he says, he says you know, I'm, I don't have to, to uh, uh, release one prisoner, but I'll release one prisoner, thinking that they would ask for Jesus, but they asked for Barabbas. Barabbas was actually uh, being held for insurrection and murder. So he had actually tried to uh, come against the government of Rome. There was a, an act of insurrection and for murder. So he had also committed murder. And Barabbas actually is a word that means uh, son of the father. Barabbas means Bar-Abbas, son of the father. And so it's interesting to see the name, that, the title that this man even had, Barabbas, son of the father. He is let go and the true son of the father is not. And now it says, in, in, uh, it, it says that, so he let Barabbas go, and he had Jesus scourged and crucified. Let's see in Luke, let's pick up this portion in Luke and, and, and see the trial in Luke. This is in, in uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. So again, he proclaims, I have found nothing in this man regarding these charges. Pilate knew this was an innocent man. That's in, in Luke, 23, uh, Luke 23, 14. Now verse 15. Now, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I find nothing. There's nothing here. And certainly not deserving of death. Herod found nothing either. Verse 16. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. You know, it's interesting. Punish him for what? What has he done? He says, I, found, I haven't found anything in this man. Certainly not of death. Certainly nothing I've found. So I'll just punish him to make you happy and I'll release him. Verse 17. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent and with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man who they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Now remember that Luke's, the Gospel according to Luke is the only of the four Gospels that is the one that's chronological. And, and so, the, the, uh, the scourging came after this pronouncement. He was scourged and then he was crucified. Let's turn to John. John actually gives us a little more insight from this last trial. 
And something, something uh, uh, quite telling becomes apparent here. John chapter 19, and we're going to pick it up from verse 6. John chapter 19, verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Okay, so you may remember at the fourth trial, which was a trial before Pilate, Jesus spoke to Pilate and they had a dialogue. Jesus wanted to understand from Pilate the the reference for his question, are you a king? And once he understood that, he answered him. And then he he said, actually, I am of the truth. And then Pilate sarcastically says, what is truth? And he turns around and he walks away. And what we see in that is a principle that's often there in the scripture. God gives light. And if we refuse that light, no further light is given. If we refuse that light until we come back to the point of that which was given, nothing further is given. And so Pilate is questioning him. And Jesus gives him no answer. And so then he hears... Pilate hears that he made himself out to be the Son of God. And this terrifies Pilate. Remember, we looked at Pilate's life last week. Pilate was not one to get really scared from a Jew. Pilate would just kill Jews and offer up their blood with with his sacrifices, as it says in the Gospel according to Luke. Pilate was a very bloody man, but there was something in this man of Jesus that scared him. And when he heard that he made himself out to be the Son of God, he became afraid. And he says to Jesus, he says, what are all these accusations? And Jesus says, not a word, not a word. And then he says to him, you know, I have authority to crucify you or to release you and you're not answering me. And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And I've had people tell me, oh, You know, you talk about greater sins, lesser sins. All sins are equal. And that's not at all true. I don't know where you get, where people get that. That's not at all true. All sins are not equal. They're only equal in the sense that any sin, any sin, is enough to keep us out of heaven and to keep us from having fellowship with God eternally. Any sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. But the penalty for sins, different sins, has always been very different. In the Old Testament, there were some, penalty, there were some sins you, you could commit, you could make an offering for, and you were fine. Other sins you commit, doesn't matter how many offerings you make, you were stoned to death, you were killed. Jesus here says, the people who turned you over to me have a greater sin. 
Jesus himself speaks of a greater sin versus a lesser sin. He says, Pilate, you have the lesser sin, but these people have the greater sin. And there are, sometimes people will, will, will use this as an excuse to sin. They'll say, oh, all sins are the same. And so in that sense, they'll justify themselves in committing sin. Because, oh, this little sin is the same as this big sin, so I'll commit the big sin because it's the same as this little sin. It is not. Let me give you an example. Uh, A man has a lustful thought, and he asks God to forgive him, and he goes on. Another man goes out and commits adultery with a woman, and then asks God to forgive him, and he wants to go on. Those two... Those two different sins are going to have very different impacts on his life, very different impacts on his family, on his marriage, on his relationships. There are greater sins, there are lesser sins. And the scriptures are clear on that. Any one of those sins is enough to keep us from God. That is true. But the ramifications, the outworkings of those sins and the penalty for those sins are going to be very different. Jesus makes that clear. There is greater sin and there is lesser sin. And then it says in verse 12, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. You see, Pilate was trying to release him, and Pilate had it within his power to release him. Pilate could have well proclaimed, no, enough of this, and released him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out To be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Why did Pilate all of a sudden assume the judgment seat? From where he had to make a final decision. It says, he got on the judgment seat, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Heard what words? The words right above it. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, what were the words? He heard the Jews cry out saying, in verse 12, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Now that seems to me to sound like a pretty empty threat. You know, kids do this. They say, you know, if you don't do this for me, you're not my friend. Oh, I better do it then. You know, it, it, it's really an empty threat. Who are a bunch of Jews to say, you're no friend of Caesar, therefore you better do this? I mean, why would, would, would Pilate care what they think about friendship with Caesar? I mean, he had been appointed to this position by Caesar through the recommendation, as we talked about last week, of Sejanus, who was head of the Praetorian Guard in Rome. So quite a high position. And also because he was married to Tiberius Caesar's illegitimate stepdaughter. And so there was, there was a family relationship here, but there was mainly the recommendation by Sejanus. What does he care? What, you know, what they care about friendship with Caesar. Well, what was happening at this very time was that there was a coup against Tiberius Caesar. And Tiberius Caesar, the coup was planned by Sejanus, head of the Praetorian Guard, the one who had recommended Pilate for this very position. And 
The coup was found out before it could go into effect. Sejanus and all the people with him that were part of this, this coup were put to death. And an investigation was embarked upon by the Roman Senate to find out specifically who was a friend of Caesar and who was a friend of Sejanus. And remember, Sejanus and Pilate were fast friends. And the last thing that Pilate could afford to do was to have his name, this word, get back. Because already he was on difficult ground because he had been put into his position on the recommendation of Sejanus, who had now been put to death for a planned coup. And the last thing he wanted to do was word to get back to Rome that this is no friend of Caesar. Remember, he was a friend of Sejanus. Because he heard these words, he right away took the judgment seat. And it says, he says, uh, uh, in verse 13, Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. This was slightly before actually 9 a.m. And it says it was the preparation day. Remember, I said that there's a lot of controversy now in the church as to what day Jesus really died. There was historically been no controversy. And any Jew that reads this knows the preparation day is always Friday. And it's always Friday sometime before around 6 p.m. Because around 6 p.m. starts Saturday. It is the preparation day. It is Friday. And, and, uh, uh, so, and, and this, and it's, it's on Friday morning at 9 a.m. that the Passover offering is offered up, the Passover offering that actually the priesthood observes, and then the priesthood eats, eats their feast on Friday afternoon. And it says that, that uh, um, Pilate says to them, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. So, he, so he, he, he then handed him over to them to be crucified. So we know from, from Matthew that, that Pilate actually washes his hands from that judgment seat. And he says, look, all right, just take him. I have no guilt in this. I wash my hands of his blood. And the Jews said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And these very Jews had the, their blood and their children's blood spilled. In 40 A.D. came the judgment. Uh, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, in 70 A.D. came the judgment. So 40 years later came the judgment. This is 30 A.D. and 40 AD came, in 70 A.D. came the judgment where the entire city was destroyed. The children of these people were killed. There were 1.1 million Jews killed in the city by the Romans on the destruction of that city. And the only ones that were saved out of that were the ones that Jesus proclaimed when he proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin, that the desolation would come upon that city. The only ones that were saved out of that were the ones who knew the Lord, the ones who had received Jesus. There were about 100,000 of them. And it is documented that they went and they went to Perea and they were not in the city at that time. And so they were actually saved out of that. And you can read about this in First Peter as well, where, where Peter's talking about how they can be saved out of these things. But um, Pilate thinks he can just wash his hands of this. And if you read in, in, in the book of Acts, it says, who was against him? 
Who was against him? Actually, in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. It's well documented who was against him in this and who was held responsible for this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27, it says, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Everybody was against Jesus. Everyone. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and Israel. They were all against Jesus. I've heard people say, oh look, you know, the Jews came against Jesus. The Gentiles were against Jesus too. It says it right here. Everybody, everybody was against this man. Everybody was against him. There were Jews against him, Gentiles against him, Herod and Pilate. They all came against this man by not delivering this innocent man. And Pilate cannot wash his hands of this. Pilate thinks he can, and in fact, just a few years later, after this event, Pilate was summoned to, to Rome, actually by the accusation of the governor of Syria, because Pilate had begot, gotten so bloody, on his way to Rome to appear before Tiberius Caesar, uh, uh, Tiberius dies, and he has to appear before Caligula, Caesar Caligula. And, and we learned about Caligula last week and what, what a madman he was. He appears before Caligula and Caligula actually banishes Pilate to, to uh, Gaul, which is in France, and, and he ends up uh, committing suicide shortly after that. And then as I thought about this, I thought, Lord, are there ways that I have come against your word and not stood for what is truthful, for what is right, because of my own convenience? Paul, uh, 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 Pilate, for his own convenience, when he heard that this accusation, this accusation could get back to Rome, that he's not a friend of Caesar, based on this, he was going to offer up this man to be crucified. Lord, what do I do? Because I want to protect my own skin and my own sense of my own reputation and my own sense of my own dignity. How often do I not stand up for you and for your word? And you know, in my life, the times that I remember most are not the times that I stood up for Jesus. The times that I remember most are the times that I didn't stand up for Him. Because I'm ashamed and humiliated when I heard people talking and I didn't want to open my mouth and stand up for Jesus and for Christians and for what was right in these things. How many times out of my own convenience have I not stood up? Pilate could not just wash his hands of this. I can't just wash my hands of this. I need to go back to the Lord and repent and ask God to forgive me. But Pilate actually suffered quite a lot, as did Herod, as we learned about what Herod went through for his part in this as well. So turn back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. And now Jesus is turned on over to the scourging and to the mocking. And then in verse chapter 27, verse 27, Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers and the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and they put on a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. They took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they mocked him, They took the scarlet robe off him, put on his own garments back on him, and led him away to be crucified. 
Now, we know from the other Gospels that this mocking occurred after the scourging. So, Jesus was scourged. And remember, the Roman scourging is very different than the Jewish scourging. The Jewish scourging said that they could only hit a person 40 times. And so, what the Jews did in their scourgings, lest they lose count during the hitting and exceed 40, they thought they'd only go 39 times. That's why Paul says that, that I was hit 39 times or or 40, what was it, 40 save one, is how Paul describes it, because they would back off one, because they didn't want to exceed that. And, and the, the Jewish scourging was with a whip. The Roman scourging had this whip, this, 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 uh, uh, this whip that had uh, um, stones or, or sharp iron balls in the ends of the, 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 the shredded whip at the end. The, Ro- the Jewish scourging was only in the back, the Roman scourging was all around the body, and in fact, they would intentionally wrap the, the, the whip around the face and slice open the face. And it says that many times people couldn't even recognize the individuals after the scourging. This is what Jesus went through in his scourging. There was no limit on the amount of times they could hit him, and in fact, many times people died just during the scourging. After this, it says the soldiers... And the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. Remember, how many people in a Roman cohort? He got around 500 soldiers. 500 soldiers in this room with Jesus. They're pulling his clothes off him, putting a robe on him. They take this crown of thorns. His body is shredded and they jam it into his head. They take this stick and they're hitting him on the head. They're walking by him and spitting in his face. The man has just been been shredded, and this is what they're doing to him. And it's not just one or two soldiers. You've got 500 soldiers sitting there, laughing, spitting, hitting, mocking. This is what Jesus went through. This is what our Lord went through. So when you go through the little things that you're going to go through in life because of your testimony for Jesus, and if you don't go through things in your life because of your testimony for Jesus, you don't have much of a testimony. But when you go through the little things in life, remember this. What I have gone through in my life is absolute kindergarten. It is child's play. It is nonsense. What I have gone through, the things that people have said against me. You know, I talk to people and say, I've been through great persecution. I say, tell me about it. Oh, the things that people have said about me. Now, I've never met. I know there are people out there in the world that had been, you know, thrown in prison and beaten. I've never met them. I've read about them. There's not too many people in our culture around us that have really been persecuted. What we go through is not even persecution. But we still get a blessing, because the Bible says, Blessed are you you when men revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So he says, even when people say things about you that's not true, you're going to receive a blessing. That you'll receive a blessing for. But what we have gone through, what I have gone through in my life, is not real persecution. I've never shed a drop of blood. And that's what Paul says in his epistles. He says, you've not shed any blood because of your testimony. And I haven't. Nobody's ever hit me. I mean, once, once a person threatened to hit me. Maybe if he had hit me, it would have been good. Then I could say, I've shed some blood now. You know, I've, I've done that. But he threatened to hit me because of my testimony. 
for Jesus. But he never did hit me. And, and uh, um, so what we have gone through is nothing compared to what our Lord has gone through. He has gone through so much for us. 500 soldiers sitting there and, and mocking him and taking turns, spitting on him and hitting him. After he has gone through the scourging. Turn with me to, to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. And I'm just going to read a portion of this psalm. And this is a psalm. And as we get into the crucifixion next week, remember back to this psalm because Jesus quotes this psalm quite a lot during his crucifixion. And you can see this is a very prophetic psalm of the crucifixion, scourging and crucifixion of the Lord. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned above the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lips. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Yet you are He who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from my birth, and you have been my God from my mother's womb. And we're going we're gonna to pick this up next week. But, you know, this is, this is so amazing prophecy of the things that happened. Jesus on the cross is going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, for three hours, he suffers from 9 to 12, the wrath of man. The exact time that there's to be offering up the sacrifice, Jesus is being offered up. And then from 12 to 3, he's suffering the wrath of God. And it is during that time that he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I will never have to undergo that. You and I will never be separated from God like Jesus was during that three-hour period. And in that, but even in that time, he says, what he remembers in verse 4 is, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. In the midst of what I'm going through, I don't see your hand of deliverance. So I will reflect on the truth of the Word of God. There are times in the Old Testament that Jesus had read and Jesus knew about because He was the Son of God. That the fathers had trusted in God. They didn't see His hand, but He ultimately delivered them. When you and I go through things and go through this sort of pain, remember, when we don't see God, remember what He's done for people that have gone before us. Remember what He's done, how He delivered them, that's how He'll deliver us. That's what Jesus did. He reflected on the truth of what the Scripture said, how he had de- God had delivered the fathers, so He would deliver them. And then he says in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. If you are ever hated because of Jesus, remember Jesus was hated first and hated more. That to me is the beautiful thing about Jesus in a relationship with Him. 
All of us know the pain of rejection. And many of us, it is this very pain that has brought us to the Lord. It was for me, in large part, when I met Christians, when I went to college, and a freshman in college was the first time that I know of that I met Christians who said that they were born-again Christians. And I saw the way they ate together and laughed together, and their laughing was never at anyone else's expense. And everything that I had known growing up, if there was a group of people laughing, somebody else was in pain because of that laughter. And I knew what it was to be at the receiving end of that kind of pain. And you do too. All of us have been in that position. Remember, Jesus was there. You say, well, there were four people picking on me. Jesus had 500 soldiers after he had been scourged, spitting on him and mocking him and hitting him over the head. Jesus had been through that. Jesus has been through what you and I have been through many, many, many times over. He says, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lips. They wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. They say, oh, if he's a Christian, he wouldn't be going through that. Not so. Not so. We'll pick this up next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. It is so good. Thank you so much for what you give to us. Lord, thank you for carrying this mocking and this pain upon you for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you went through. You are so good. Praise be to your name, Lord God. Father, I don't know what the future has for these young people, but some of them will go through persecutions and mockings, and some might even be able to shed blood for your name because of their testimony. Father, keep them strong, I pray. When they're in those times where they don't see you, may they reflect back to the way you took care of Jesus through all of this. And do as Jesus did, remembering those who you took care of, those who went before them. Father, may your grace be upon them. Keep them strong in you, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.